You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with the brightest minds in higher ed in the broader world of marketing to bring you actionable insights you can use to level up your school's marketing and enrollment efforts. In this episode, we'll be talking with Daniel Lemon, co-author, along with digital marketing luminary Jay Baer, of a new book titled Talk Triggers. In Talk Triggers, Daniel and Jay explore word-of-mouth marketing, and they lay out a practical framework for engineering word-of-mouth marketing into any organization. We discuss why novelty alone isn't enough to generate quality word-of-mouth, the process organizations can follow to identify their own opportunities for talk triggers, and we examine several examples of schools that have created their own talk triggers at different points along the student journey. Daniel's done a terrific job researching and demystifying how to actually implement word-of-mouth marketing strategies in organizations. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Daniel Lemon. Daniel, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be part of it. Yeah, well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, and I know that you and Jay Bear have written a really interesting book called Talk Triggers. And it's all about how organizations can be more intentional and strategic with their word of mouth marketing. I think this is the perfect topic for higher ed. So I really can't wait to dig in. Yep, for sure. Well, I'd love to just kind of cut to the chase. What exactly are talk triggers and why is it worth it for those of us in higher ed marketing to pay attention to them? Yeah, you actually used a really important keyword in that opening preamble, which is the word intentional. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth is a thing that matters to every every kind of business, whether you're a dentist or an undertaker or a higher ed institution. Word of mouth matters because that's what people look to to make decisions. And broadly speaking, word of mouth influences around 90% of purchase decisions. It specifically influences 20%. In the research we did for the book, we can attribute 20% of purchases made directly to a word of mouth trigger of some kind, a word of mouth conversation. The thing about it is most companies, most organizations don't have a strategy for word of mouth. They have an email strategy. They have a lead generation strategy. They may have a social media strategy, but they don't have an actual word of mouth strategy. And that is why we wrote the book and why it's so important. I actually found some research looking for some data for for this conversation around the role of word of mouth in higher ed. So to your point about why does it matter for higher ed, I've seen some research from the National Council for Marketing and Public Relations. Their research said 75% of students use word of mouth to identify the institution that they attend. So if that doesn't make us all sit up and take notice of it, I don't know you know, how else to convince you. But right. I think, you know, no matter how you look at it, it's a, an important part of our marketing environment. You know, I was kind of scanning some of the available research on word of mouth and as it relates to higher ed, also kind of in advance of talking with you. And I came across a dissertation that was talking about the fact that in higher ed specifically, because you have this sort of very highly considered purchase decision ultimately, but it's also a product that you cannot test drive. There's really no way to try out the institution. You just kind of have to to take a big risk and hope that you made the right choice. 
they were sort of arguing that word of mouth is particularly influential and can perhaps be helpful in that it can sometimes uncover attributes that maybe the prospective student had not considered previously. Yeah, it's one of the more anxiety-provoking decisions we make from a purchase perspective, right? Where you choose to have dinner has less impact on your life than where you go to school. So Mm -hmm. I can understand why that causes agitation for people, but it also illustrates why people value word of mouth so strongly because just taking a college campus tour, just asking an advisor, where should I go to school, doesn't actually answer the question. Yeah. And I guess I was kind of curious, maybe this question is too broad. Why do you think talk triggers or word of mouth work? What is it about that that is so important? It really comes down to trust. We're in this weird era in our global environment today where trust matters more than truth. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate for a lot of reasons, but it really comes down to who do you trust to help you make a decision? That's friends and family, coworkers, colleagues. It's people you know, people who are like you. So when we look at kind of if it's like Maslow's hierarchy, Mm -hmm. friends and family are probably at the top of that from a trust perspective, just because we know them. They're not just people like us, they're my people. Right. You know, I think that's a lot of the reason you see in families, generations going to the same school, they know it's predictable. They know what it means. They know what it's like. There's tradition there. So yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to trust. Yeah. So one of the things I like about this particular book is that you guys actually invested in a good bit of original research to go along with it. And you did some formal research around how people perceive organizations that are maybe doing something to try to appear different. What did you guys uncover with that? Well, there there were some interesting findings. We have a lot of case studies and a lot of original research. And one of the most surprising things was the impact that word of mouth had on the the sales mix, Mm -hmm. but also the fact that it isn't actually everyone who is talking about a brand. It was only about a third of customers, even in the highest performing examples we found, Cheesecake Factory, Doubletree Hotels, both very, very strong word of mouth companies, still only a third of their customers are talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the reasons it's been overlooked over the years, because that number isn't everyone. It's kind of like, ah, I'd rather invest in the other two thirds of of my customers. But in fact, that one third is really important. Mm -hmm. And if they're not talking, no one is. Right. I know you also uncovered a segment of folks that is maybe a bit distrustful or maybe a little skeptical of organizations that are trying to do something kind of, you know, overtly different. Is that something we should be worried about if we're trying to kind of incite word of mouth? Yeah, the interesting thing about it. So we put people in four different categories in our in our research. One of them was skeptics, and what was kind of interesting is skeptics were actually more influenced by word of mouth than some of the more ad and marketing friendly folks. So mm-hmm. because of that trust thing, people were like, "Well, I don't trust the university's marketing people as much as my friends." So it kind of tipped in the other direction for the skeptics. So. That's helpful. I mean, if you're trying to win over a skeptical crowd, uh, talk trigger is a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some examples. I know we can talk some higher ed specific examples, but I think just out there in the broader world, what are some of the best examples you've come across? And like you mentioned, this book is loaded with them and I have a few of my pet favorites. 
the foundation of it, it's, it's an important, I think, that we describe what is and what isn't a talk trigger first. Sure. And the reason for that is we assume that it's promotions and campaign kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Actually, the examples we've found that work best are a little bit more operational in nature. So there's something different about the way that company runs its business that is not only noticeable, but people talk about it. Mm-hmm. A classic example of this is Doubletree Hotels. If you've stayed in a Doubletree hotel, you may be familiar with the procedure. When you check in, Mm -hmm. a person says, welcome to Doubletree. Thanks for staying with us. Reaches down under the counter, opens a drawer, and out comes a warm chocolate chip cookie that they've baked in the hotel. And that's it. People talk about that cookie like crazy. Mm -hmm. It isn't something that they advert... Well, they do advertise it, but it is an actual operational element of how they run their hotels. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite complex in their case. They have ovens and warming drawers and all kinds of crazy stuff. But that's distinguished from a thing like Geico with its gecko. The gecko's cute and people kind of talk about it, but it's not an actual talk trigger Mm -hmm. because it doesn't really exist at the operations. It's marketing. It's in their case, a mascot, a slogan. So I think sometimes in higher ed, we think about our mascots being talk triggers, Ohio State with Brutus. And for sure, I mean, that's the case, but that isn't going to win over any non-Ohio State fans. I mean, it's not going to win over a prospective student, right? Right. So that is a thing we have to think about. What is it operationally we do at a university level, higher ed level that is different? Yeah, that kind of operational difference. I think another example of that that you mentioned was New Zealand Air. So in the book, you talk about, oh, New Zealand Air has these really great safety videos. They have Bear Grylls. They have Lord of the Rings themed safety videos. And those are great. And those are, you know, those are a talk trigger, but that isn't necessarily the most powerful one that they have in their arsenal. What really gets the most airplay is their sky couch, I think they call it, where it's in economy seating. And you can remove the armrests and and basically your three chairs become like a futon. And that's really what people talk about. That really kind of gets to that deeper operational level that you're talking about. Yep. And what's great about that, in their case, it's part of the product, but it's the thing when a a consumer sees that, they're like, shoot, why doesn't every airline do that? Right. You know, why doesn't every hotel have cookies at check-in? Why doesn't every blank do blank? And that's when you know you've hit a talk trigger where you see it. You're like, yeah, why don't all universities do that. Yeah, that's super interesting. And what I think is also interesting about it is that it would not be easy for other airlines to just copy that. Conceivably, they could. New Zealand Air did it, but it's not the sort of thing that that you can see the leaders of, say, Southwest jumping on board with quickly. Yep. Yeah, let's do that too. Interesting. Yeah. So you've obviously formalized this quite a bit around what makes for a great talk trigger. What are sort of the key characteristics of a really good talk trigger? They share some traits that are foundational. One is that by their nature, they are remarkable. I think that shouldn't come as a surprise Mm -hmm. to anyone. We call them the four R's. So remarkable is the first. One is that Most often, they're somewhat reasonable in nature. It's not an over-the-top gesture of shock and awe designed to like, wow, I can't believe they're giving away a stuffed full-size bear for every matriculation. Right. It's an operational thing more so than a promotional thing. Mm -hmm. So reasonable. The third is that 
it's generally relevant to the experience. So if when you checked in at your dentist, he gave you a warm chocolate chip cookie, you might go, hmm, that's a very curious place to right. receive a warm <laughs> chocolate chip cookie, although the gesture is welcome. <laughs> However, if he offered you a five-minute chair massage at the end, you might be like, okay, that sort of makes sense. That was a stressful experience. So relevance is an important one Mm -hmm. because it helps us refine what are kind of the promotional things versus like an operational element. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth are talk about reasonable, remarkable, relevant. It's a really important. The fourth one is that it has to be repeatable. If everybody who interacts with you doesn't have the chance to have that same experience, it actually becomes an anti-talk trigger. Right. It becomes negative word of mouth because it feels like you're picking and choosing your favorites. Right. And that's not going to work long-term. So those are the four really foundational elements. And Mm -hmm. it works for universities. I mean, we could brainstorm probably several hundred ways that that comes alive. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because I think about the, you know, sort of typical university, if there is such a thing. And it is such a hugely complex organization. So with so many facets to it, and some of them are in some ways, I think, a bit like that economy class airline seating where it's like we kind of take it for granted. We assume this is the way it's always been and the way it should be. And so we all just kind of roll with it, even if the experience is a little subpar in some cases. As expected. Yeah, exactly. More as expected. So I think that's great. So, you know, kind of jumping into some of those higher ed specific examples, have you come across any that you thought, okay, this is a pretty good example of uh a legitimate talk trigger in a university setting? You know, one of my, I think my favorite ones actually, is, it's, it's a school in New York State, Alfred University. Theirs is connected to the campus tour, which is an obvious place to have talk triggers, right? And I think it's actually probably the most logical place to start. But they do their campus tours on a conference bike built for seven people. Wow. <laughs> so it's not just like, oh, here's a tour of seven people. You're on a bicycle together in a circle kind of going around the campus. Yeah. And if you take the tour, you get a, a shirt that says Tour Hard with Alfred University on it. Oh, that's cool. And I think that's fun because it's, it's fun. I mean, it's a meaningful part of the experience. You have to tour somehow. And it's a, a fun thing. If you, if you Google it, like Alfred University Tours you'll see pictures of it. And it's actually connected for them to their brand ethos, which is, I forget exactly what they say. They're a little bit different or something like that. Yeah. Interesting. It's five or six of those bikes and you're in business. You know, that's it's pretty easy to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. So I came across a couple and I wonder if these meet your standard for a talk trigger. So one of them is uh, Orgo Night at Columbia. And so organic chemistry. I guess the students call it orgo for short, is obviously an incredibly difficult topic. And the night before finals, many of the students traditionally are studying in their library. The marching band actually comes into the library to entertain the students, to kind of give them a break, and they sing songs and tell jokes. You know, And apparently, it's been this kind of ongoing tradition for quite some time. So now, does that sort of meet your criteria of, okay, this is a talk trigger. How would you think about that? Yeah, I think it can. What can happen over time, what was once unexpected becomes expected and known. So then you stop talking about it at that point. Mm -hmm. Andy Cernovitz, a guy in the the SEO business, he he famously described this as the chocolate problem. Hmm. And the point is that everybody loves chocolate. Chocolate's delicious. 
Yet, who really among us talks about chocolate? Despite the fact we all love the chocolate so much, right? it's kind of hard to say something different about chocolate that hasn't been said before. So uh, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, Ohio State, I'm from Ohio, so I keep referencing Ohio State. They've got Brutus, they've got the marching band. And, you know, at some point you come to sort of expect that that's the case, right? Which doesn't make it bad. You know, at that point, you maybe have the bandwidth to make a new talk trigger. They can make some other magical part of it. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, Ohio State always seems to find a way to outdo themselves with the marching band. <laughs> Daniel, I know we you know, have talked about Alfred University and what they're doing with the tour. And obviously, that's very early on in the, the student journey. But I wonder, do you have any other examples of maybe following that journey a little further? Maybe somebody's enrolled, they're now attending the school. What sorts of things have you seen out in the world that are interesting to you? So that's a really interesting thread because it's really meaningful to think through your own university's student journey. Mm -hmm. Every school is a little bit different and it could be dependent on the type of content you have, the type of student experience you have. So everything starts with the tour. We talked about Alfred University. There's another school that has an interesting tour experience in Florida. It's Eckerd College, itself really known for marine sciences. And so for them, they do their tour on a boat. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's connected to that specific university. And they're kind of known for their boat tours. So that's, that's sort of the first step. But then you also have campus life once you've been convinced to attend. And there is a lot of opportunity. Pomona College in California is famous, in fact, for its dorms. That some of the nicest, probably, university housing in the country. So you've got campus life and you have graduation experiences, another point of potential optimization. There's a school in Japan, the Kanazawa College of Art. It's a design school. And so building on that theme... They allow students to design their own graduation gear. So oh, wow. it basically looks like Comic-Con happened at the their graduation yeah. <laughs> people in costume. So you can design your own graduation costume. There are some really crazy photos. Just Google them. You'll find some really crazy graduation photos. And then Smith College as well is a slightly different tradition, a little bit more understated. They have a thing called the Diploma Circle. Mm -hmm. So when you graduate from Smith, you don't actually receive your own diploma in the folder. You get someone else's. Interesting. And you have to do a swap after the ceremony to find your own diploma. So it's just a tradition they've had, the Diploma Circle. Yeah. So, you know, those are a few. And you look at those different inflection points, you realize there could be gaps all along that that you could just do something a little bit different that gets noticed. Right. One of the things that really stands out when you kind of talk about some of these examples back to back to back is how they're all different and the best ones seem to tie into something intrinsic about that school or that culture. Yep. So it makes sense that the art school would make this a project, that you're going to design your own graduation cap and gown. It makes sense that Smith is a more understated school. <laughs> so they're not going to do that. That wouldn't be successful there or... You know, like we've come back to a couple of times with Alfred, it's kind of one of their value propositions that we do things a little differently here. So you're going to ride on a bike during your tour. Mm -hmm. So it's not just some kind of gee whiz thing that isn't really tied into the identity of the school at its at its best. It really is relevant and, and says something about who they are. It's exactly it. 
it allows you to see the difference. When you see a talk trigger that's working, you're like, that makes a lot of sense. That's not just a layer put on by committee from a meeting, which is why we say it's important to start at research, not at ideas. A lot of schools offer campus tours on bikes. There's only one that I know of that does it on a conference bike. Right. <laughs> I don't think Harvard would probably offer a thing such as that. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. But for Alfred, it does. It makes total sense. Right. So you've been alongside a number of organizations that they've tried to roll these sorts of initiatives out. What are kind of the common hang-up points that you've seen as folks contemplate maybe intentionally doing something like this? The most common one is not enough research because you end up shooting from the hip versus looking at the student journey in this case very intentionally. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest one is a lack of research because what it then leads to is a lack of courage. If you feel like, I don't know why we're doing this stuff, I really don't want to take that much of a chance, then you will not be as courageous. You won't take chances that are quite as big. So that's the big one, I think. One of the things you said was that the talk trigger, a good one is something that is really presented to everybody. Everyone sort of has equal access to it. You don't want to appear as if you're picking and choosing who gets it and who doesn't. But obviously, with a large university, you have numerous colleges each that are quite substantial on their own. So in that context, is it really important that the talk trigger be something that would apply broadly across the entire university, or could it be restricted to a department or a college? I think it's yes to both. It's great if there's a university-wide talk trigger. Is it unhelpful if the College of Engineering has its own? And I think the answer to that is that's helpful. So long as every student in the college gets a chance to experience that, I think it's entirely relevant. Mm -hmm. Example of that working, I think, is Arizona State University. If you're familiar with their basketball team, they do things differently in Arizona to begin with. And their basketball, the Arizona State basketball team certainly follows that model. They have a thing called the curtain of distraction. I don't know if you've seen this. It's crazy. I haven't. I'm not actually a basketball guy. I'm not really <laughs> I don't know I much didn't. about sports ball. <laughs> it's worth going to find some videos of this happening. So on the visiting team's side of the court, when they're doing a free throw, there's this little curtain behind the net. And they fling the curtain open and out comes all of this distracting stuff. They dress up in costumes. They're just trying to distract the team. And they, when the free throw is done, yeah. they shut the curtain again. <laughs> the curtain of distraction. And it's not all of their sports teams. It's just the basketball team there. It's known for it. It has been shown to actually give them like a 1.7 point advantage in a game. Oh, wow. Over the years, <laughs> they've had it for many years. So that's a sub, sub, sub talk trigger. It's not all sports just a basketball team. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's probably a good thing. I can imagine folks kind of listening to this and saying, okay, interesting. There's some interesting things we might be able to do in the space. There's some examples out there in the, the broader world of companies doing some interesting things. But how would I justify this? How do I measure this? How do I justify putting time and energy towards a project like this? How do you think about that? Yeah, this is part of the reason it hasn't typically been done before. Mm -hmm. Either someone had the willpower to do it in a small business, they just thought it was a better way to do it, or there was some other reason for it. It just kind of happened by accident. But the thing about it is it's directly connected to the metrics that matter to your business. 
Alfred University's campus tour team, their entire purpose is to get people into the funnel of consideration. And Mm -hmm. if the tour is so great that people come in, it draws people in, you may not convert them yet, but you're giving yourself a chance to. Mm -hmm. In that case, it can boost inbound leads or boost tour dates. So that's a meaningful metric. In other cases, for some of the other examples we've talked about, Doubletree Hotel, it's an interesting example because Doubletree Hotel is not otherwise known for much of anything. Mm -hmm. In fact, it can be quite inconsistent, the brand. And yet, they have circumvented and short-circuited potential disappointment by giving you a cookie before you get in the room. So it's actually a strategic choice to delight you before anything else happens. We'll just put it that way. Right. (laughs) Depending on what you identify as the operational need in your business, then you start seeing where you can move metrics with a talk trigger. And Mm -hmm. that's when it becomes very realistic. Mm Mm-hmm. I was just talking with a client prior to this conversation. They're in the real estate business. And we were finally honing down how much should we spend on doing a thing like this. So we got to their average customer lifetime value, you know, all of the metrics that go into their marketing decisions. And we landed on around $10 to $11 per person. Mm-hmm. And if it works, then you know we could start shipping away budget from somewhere else and invest a little higher. But Once you know kind of where you have gaps in your student experience or faculty experience, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. you figure out if we were to fill that, what does that do for our business? And that's the missing link, I think, for a lot of organizations who would otherwise like to do it. Interesting. One of the things that I really like about this book is that you've got a ton of great examples. You also give a lot of good advice, I think, on how to evaluate these things and also how to engineer them intentionally. Obviously, if folks want all the nitty-gritty details on how to do that, they should go out, check out the book where you can dive into it in some depth. But at a high level, how do you go about engineering these kinds of experiences, these talk triggers? We put a system in the back of the second half of the book is actually a whole system on how to do it. It's in six different steps. Mm -hmm. And broadly speaking, the steps are around a listening campaign, Mm -hmm. research, figuring out and identifying where you have gaps by doing probably the scariest thing for any marketing person in the world to talk to real live customers, prospects. Right. (laughs) That's pretty terrifying because it's not what we do every day. Mm Mm-hmm. But when you start doing that, you see obvious gaps. You're like, we could do way better at that one little thing. Mm -hmm. And that would be very noticeable. So that's one element. Second element is idea creation. That's the one everybody wants to do. I mean, you you want to skip all the other stuff. Like, Let's just get in a room and solve it. Let's come up with ideas. And if it were that easy, we all would have done it last week or last year. You don't do that until you have the research. That's a really important thing we learned. Companies that do this with some intent, Mm -hmm. they do it based on research, not based on gut. So that's the second. And the third is testing and measuring the thing. The the idea is not, again, to get everybody talking about this particular idea. It's to get around a third of people talking about it, Mm -hmm. which is a weird metric. Success is 33.33% out of 100. That's that's like, hmm, right? That's worth celebrating, but it is, in fact. And the other thing to realize is... We assume when we think of word of mouth, we think of like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, all of which matter, but half of all of it still happens offline Hmm. outside of the reach of surveys and that kind of stuff. So how you measure it may in part be based on the population of people. 
mm-hmm. but also you have to assume there's a lot you won't see and hear directly. So you mentioned that 30 or so percent, that would be successful. What's on the low end of that? Like if I'm testing out a couple of ideas, which you recommended the book before you roll it out broadly, kind of dip your toe in the water. What's kind of the minimum response rate I should be looking for to know that I might have something worth pursuing further? It in part depends a little on what you're testing and for how long. Mm -hmm. But if it's something you're just doing quickly to see how people react, if you get 10 to 20% of a sample population talking about that idea, Mm -hmm. you're in pretty good shape at that point. You know that people have proactively noticed it. Right. You assume it's one out of 10 people or two out of 10 people notice it enough to say something about it. That's important because there are equal numbers of people who noticed it and maybe said something and didn't do it on Twitter or would amplify it some other way. So between 10 and 20% is, is a reasonable effort for a short-term test. If you're going to take Alfred's conference bike, you rent the bike for a week and offer every fifth tour on the bike see if people noticed it, happen to photograph it, mention it. Mm-hmm. Then you start to feel, you know it in your gut. You're like, that's working for us. Right. We're actually seeing people take note of this thing. Well, Daniel, this is a really interesting topic. And what I love about it is you take something that can be a little hard to understand and measure, but you all do a great job of making it really concrete. If folks want to find out more, want to engage with you, what are the best places to do that? We have a really great website for the book, talktriggers.com. There's actually a bunch of free stuff there. So if people kind of want to taste it before they order it, that's a good place to do it. And then I'm findable pretty much wherever you would expect me to be, Twitter, Facebook, (laughs) Instagram, all those places. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service marketing firm dedicated to helping higher education institutions drive enrollment, increase yield, and capture donors' attention. For more information, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, suggestions, episode ideas, or just want to reach out and say hi, drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co. See you next time.